Chapter Five of *The Cave in the Mountain* by Edward Ellis, Mining and Countermining. Fred expected every moment to catch the dull crack of the rifle from the subterranean regions as a signal that Mickey O'Rooney had neither closed his eyes to the impending peril nor had given way to despair at the trying position in which he was placed. But the stillness remained unbroken while the lasso was steadily paid out by the dusky hands of the swarthy warrior whose motions were closely watched by the others. Lower and lower it descended as the coils lying at his knees were steadily unwound, until the disturbed lad was certain the bottom of the cavern was nearly reached, and still all was silent as a tomb. "'I'm sure I would hear his gun if he fired it,' he said, worried and distressed by what was taking place before his eyes. "'And if I did not, I could tell by the way they acted whenever he pulled the trigger. What can he be doing?' The lad thought it possible that his friend was absent in some distant part of the cave, hunting for him, and was therefore totally unaware of the flank movement that was under way. It could not be that he was still asleep. He had no fears on that score. It might be, too, that the Irishman had arrived at the conclusion that the situation had grown so desperate as to warrant him in the dernier resorts he had fixed upon. If such was the case, then as Mickey himself might have said, the jig was up. Two or three coils still remained upon the ground when the Apache stopped lowering the lasso, and, looking in the faces of his companions, said something. "'It has either reached the bottom of the cave, or else Mickey has fired at it,' said Fred, who became more excited than ever. He had caught no sound resembling a shot, and he concluded that it must be the former, as was really the case. In a few seconds the Indian began drawing up the lasso again, and a short time thereafter the roll of blanket was brought to the surface. It was carefully examined by all the group. The dirt on it proved that it had rested on the bottom of the cave, but there were no marks to show that it had received any attention at the hands of anyone there. There were grunts of pleasure as this fact was gathered by the redskins. The experiments had been satisfactory, and they were prepared to venture upon the more dangerous and decisive one, the one which they intended should bring matters to a focus. Fred was in doubt that this plan was to be, until he saw the blanket unfolded, and as carefully wrapped around the form of one of the Apaches, encasing him from head to foot. Great pains were taken to hide his head and feet from view, the warrior lying upon his back, and suffering himself to be done up with as much thoroughness as if he were a choice sample of dry goods. Viewed from a disinterested standpoint, the wonder was how he was to breathe in such wrappings. They have tried the blankets, and finding that it was not disturbed, they're going to send down one of their number, thinking that if Mickey does see it he'll believe it is the same blanket and won't fire at it, because he didn't fire at the other. It looked very venturesome upon the part of the warrior thus to enter the lion's den. But while, as a rule, the Indians of the Southwest are treacherous and cowardly, there are occasional instances in which they show an intrepidity equal to that of the most daring white scouts. When everything was arranged to the satisfaction of all, three of the most stalwart Apaches braced themselves with the lasso grasped between them, while a fourth carefully piloted the body over the edge of the opening, 
and began slowly lowering it to the bottom. The bravest man, placed in the position of the enwrapped redskin, could not have avoided some tremor when he knew that he was hanging in mid-air, in plain view of the rifleman who had separated the thong which supported the blanket in the first attempt. The Indian must have experienced strange emotions, but if he did, he gave no evidence. He remained as passive as a log, his purpose being to imitate the appearance of the first bundle. "'Now if Mickey lets that go down without sending a bullet through it, he hasn't got one half the sense that I think he has.' Fred was hasty and impatient at the seeming success which marked everything that the Redskins undertook. He looked and listened for some evidence that the Irishman was there, but no dull subterranean report told him of the fatal rifle shot, while the three Apaches continued steadily lowering their comrade with as much coolness and deliberation as if not the slightest particle of danger threatened. Minute after minute passed, and the lad was in deep despair. It could not be, he was compelled to think, that Mickey O'Rooney was anywhere in the vicinity. He must be a long distance away, searching for his young friend, not knowing and perhaps not caring about the Apaches. He might consider that within the darkness of the cave they all had an equal advantage, and he could hold his own against each and every one. There was no denying that the defender had a vast advantage over those who might come into his castle, provided he was really aware of their movements. But it was this doubt that caused the boy his uneasiness. "'He must be near the bottom,' he concluded, when this paying-out process had continued some minutes longer, and he thought he saw very little of the lasso left. Such was the fact. Only a few seconds more passed, when there was a general loosening up on the part of the redskins, as in the case of men who have just finished a laborious job. They looked into each other's faces, and there were guttural exclamations, as if they were congratulating themselves upon what had been accomplished. "'And now, what next?' asked the disgusted watcher. "'Good luck seems to go with everything they undertake, and I suppose they'll bring Mickey up by the heels.' But such was not the sequel, and probably not the expectation of the Apaches. They had succeeded in planting a man in the breach, and their purpose was to follow him, as they speedily proved. The behavior of the group around the opening showed that the Indians were holding communication with their ally below, probably by a system of signals with the lassos, such as the man in the diving bell employs when below the surface. These, too, must have been satisfactory, for in a very brief time thereafter the decisive operations were taken up and continued. There was considerable of the lasso still left above the ground, more than Fred imagined, and this was secured about a jutting point in a rock near at hand. It was fixed so immovably that it could not fail. I wonder if they mean to roll that thing in upon Mickey's head, or, or what is it? They speedily showed what their intentions were. In less than a minute after the lasso was fastened, one of the Apaches caught hold of it and slid down through the opening so rapidly that it looked as if he had lost his hold and dropped out of sight. The second did precisely the same thing, and then a third, fourth, and fifth, until only one warrior was left above ground. "'Oh, I hope he'll go,' whispered Fred to himself, "'and I can do something big.' 
but the Apaches had evidently concluded that it would be an imprudent arrangement not to leave any of their friends on guard, not because they expected any interference from outside parties, but to provide against accident. If the lasso should fail them at a critical moment, they would be in a bad predicament, cut off from all means of getting out, as the skylight was the only avenue known to them, while if a comrade remained above, all such danger would be escaped. Their purpose had been to send the five warriors down into the cave to attend to the case of the parties there. The redskins were now down below, and the whole thing was put in shape for operations to begin. All that remained was to find their man, and Fred could not tell what the prospects of success were in that direction, but he was almost ready to believe that they were all that the Indians could ask. The sixth Apache, who remained visible, took matters very comfortably. He stretched himself flat upon the ground, with his head hanging almost in the opening, so that he could catch every sound that came up from below. It was plain that he expected to be called upon to render important service, and he did not intend to let a signal escape him. The hour that succeeded made little change in the situation. The action of this redskin showed that he occasionally received and sent messages, most probably by the subterranean telegraph, but he shifted his position very little. While he was thus engaged, Fred Munson was intensely occupied with another scheme, and he had speedily wrought himself into a high pitch of excitement. "'I believe I can do it,' he muttered more than once as he revolved the desperate scheme in his mind. But whatever his plan was, he waited in the hope that fortune would appear more propitious. When the Apache had sat thus for some time, he changed his position. He had been lying with his side toward the lad, but now he sat up with his back to him, and as close to the edge of the opening as was prudent, while he held the lasso in his hand like the fisherman on the bank of a stream who patiently waits, and is sensitive to the slightest nibbling at the other end of his line. He had scarcely settled himself in this position when Fred Munson changed his own. Rising from the ground where he had lain so long, he stepped over the ridge and advanced directly toward the redskin, who harbored no suspicion that there was any of his race in the neighborhood. The plan the lad had resolved upon required nerve, resolution, and quickness. He stepped as lightly as was consistent with speed until he had passed half the distance, when he began to slacken his gait and to proceed with greater caution than ever. All depended upon his ability to keep from being heard or detected. Of course he had no wish to engage in a fight with one of these fierce warriors, but he was prepared even for that. His hand rested upon the hilt of his revolver so that he could whip it out at an instant's warning and discharge it as he meant to do if necessary. It was while he was yet some distance from the redskin that Fred felt that his position was one of frightful peril. His foe had his rifle within easy reach, and if he turned too soon he could pick off his young assailant before he should arrive within striking distance. But each moment raised the hopes of the lad. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 a daring exploit. A veteran Comanche warrior could not have advanced with greater skill than did young Munson approach the unconscious Apache. 
The warriors who had taken this little business in hand seemed to have cleared away the treacherous ground surrounding the opening, so that it was not likely to give way beneath their weight even when they advanced close to the edge. The single redskin who remained seemed to have shifted his position more for the purpose of relieving himself from his cramped posture than anything else. He was standing erect, about a foot away from the edge, with the lasso in both hands, looking down into the cavern of gloom below, listening and watching, with the sense of touch also on the alert. His blanket and rifle lay at one side, out of the way, but where they could be reached at a single leap if necessary. The end of the lasso was still fastened to the rock, but the savage held it loosely so that the slightest twitch upon it would become known to him on the instant. It is not often that an Indian can be taken off guard. Years of danger have made the senses of the savages preternaturally acute, and they are as distant as the timid antelope of the plains. But for all that, there was a boy within a dozen yards of a swarthy warrior whose senses were on the alert, and yet had failed to detect his proximity. Fred gazed upon him with the fixed intensity of the jungle tiger stealing upon his prey. With his right hand resting upon the hilt of his revolver, he never removed his eyes from the muscular figure of the Apache bending over the entrance to the cavern. "'Shall I shoot or push him over?' This was the question the lad kept revolving in his mind as he advanced step by step. With the pistol he could bury two or three balls in the body of the redskin before he could suspect where they came from and thus completely clear the path before him. But there were doubts in the way. The revolver might misfire, in which case all hope would be gone. In a hand-to-hand -hand tussle the Apache would be more than a match for a dozen such lads. True, the weapon had not failed when he pulled the trigger in the cave, but there was no certainty that it would not do so when he most needed it. Then, too, he felt a natural repugnance against stealing upon a foe in this fashion and shooting him in the back. It had a cowardly look, even when certain that the threatened party would have done precisely the same thing had the opportunity come his way. "'I will push him over, if he doesn't make me shoot him.' but to do this necessitated a much closer approach. He must literally be within striking distance. Could he place himself there without discovery? If the redskin were asleep, or his mind was occupied with something of a different nature, or if there were some extraneous noise, the case would be different. The blowing of the wind, the murmur of a waterfall such as Fred had heard when lying upon the ground in the same spot would have been a most fortunate diversion, but there was nothing of the kind. There was a dead calm, not a breath of air stirring, and the day was hot. Fred had approached within twenty feet, and still the Apache did not stir. How vivid and indelibly his appearance was impressed upon the vision of the boy! He could never forget it. The redskin, although of powerful build, was anything but pleasing in appearance, even when viewed from the rear. His blanket being thrown aside, he was naked with the exception of a breech-cloth. His feet were of large size, encased in shabby moccasins, while frowsy leggings dangled between the knee and ankle. His body, from the breech-cloth to the shoulders, was splashed and daubed with a half-dozen kinds of paint, while his black, thin hair straggled about his shoulders 
and was smeared in the same fashion. Like most of the Indians of the Southwest, he wore no scalp-lock, but allowed his hair to hang like a woman's, not even permitting it to be gathered with a band, nor ornamenting it with the customary stained eagle feathers. His arms were also bare, with the exception of the wrists, around which were tied bracelets which, no doubt, he considered very attractive. The boy could fancy what a repulsive face he possessed. Step by step, inch by inch, the young hero made his way, his eyes fixed upon the savage with a burning intensity until it seemed he would burn him through and through, and the Apache heard him not although they were no more than ten feet apart. "'You will hear the thumping of my heart,' was the constant fear of the boy. Slowly lifting one foot, he put it on the ground as softly as if it were held in a slipper of eiderdown. He was treading upon a thin growth of grass interspersed plentifully with gravel, but he never once looked to see what he was stepping upon. Indeed, he could not remove his eyes from the one central figure of his thoughts and vision. One obstruction, no matter how slight, the turning of a pebble, a slip even the most trivial, and the Apache would turn like lightning and be upon him in a flash. Two more steps were taken, and only eight feet separated the lad and the Indian, and still the latter remained all unconscious of what was going on. Fred's heart was throbbing violently, but he retained control of himself. He felt that the critical moment was close at hand. A slight advance more, and the attempt was to be made. He grasped the handle of the revolver more firmly than ever, but he raised his foot for another step, feeling that the distance was still too great. At this juncture the Indian moved. He stepped one pace backward directly toward the boy, and he looked up and away, but not behind him. The glance was a mere casual one. He had heard nothing, and he expected to see nothing when he looked off in the manner mentioned. The Apache remained standing in this attitude for a minute. Then he stepped forward, and resumed his former position on the edge of the opening, still clinging to the lasso, as if in constant expectation of some signal. During this little episode, Fred remained as motionless as if cast in bronze. His eyes were still centered upon the Indian, and he partially drew the revolver from the girdle he wore about his body with the expectation of using it. But when his foe gave his attention to the cave below, the lad softly shoved the weapon back in its place, and again raised his foot. The movement was slow and painful but it was accomplished successfully. Only a single step more remained to place him where he wanted to be. That taken, and one bound was all that he needed to make. Finally, and for the last time during the advance, the right foot ascended from the ground, was poised for a few seconds in the air, and then came down with the same care as before but it touched a loose pebble which turned with the slightest imaginable noise. As quick as a flash the Apache raised his head and looked in front, and then darted his vision from left to right when his keen eyes detected something crouching behind him. At the very instant of discovery, Fred concentrated all his energies in one effort and bounded forward like a catapult. The distance was precisely what it should have been, 
and as he threw out his hands he struck the indian squarely in the back with the whole momentum of the body in fact the daring boy nearly overdid the matter he not only came near driving the apache to the other side of the opening but he came equally near plunging himself down it as it was the victim taken completely off his guard was thrown against the other side where his wonderful dexterity enabled him to throw out his hands and check his downward descent fred after his narrow escape from going down into the cave scrambled back to his place and saw the indian struggling upon the opposite side with a good prospect of saving himself that won't do was his thought as he ran round the opening so as to bring himself directly before him i don't want you up here thrusting his pistol almost against his painted forehead he fairly shouted get down let go or i'll shoot whether the apache possessed much knowledge of the english tongue can only be conjectured but the gestures accompanying the command were so expressive that he could not fail to take in the whole meaning the indian no doubt considered it preferable to drop down into the pit rather than run against the bullet at any rate he released his hold and down he went as he dropped into the gloom he made a clutch at the lasso doubtless for the purpose of creeping up unawares upon the lad who by a strange providence had so suddenly become his master but the indian although a pretty good athlete had not practised that sort of thing and he failed altogether going down to join his comrades much the same as if he had dropped from a balloon fred proved himself equal to the emergency the moment he saw that he was relieved from the presence of his enemy he darted back to the other side of the opening caught hold of the lasso and hurriedly drew it up out of reach of those below there they can't come crawling up that when i ain't looking he said when the end of the thong was in his hand he coiled the whole thing up at his feet and then with a feeling of relief and pleasure which cannot be described he looked about to see whether he was alone alone he was and master of the situation where there had been six daring apache warriors a half hour before not one was now visible all were in the cave five had gone willingly while it looked very much as if the sixth had not been so willing at any rate they were all beyond the power of injuring fred munson who after considering over the matter concluded that he had done a pretty good thing End of chapter six chapter seven fishing for a friend i think i dumped that apache down there just as nicely as any one could have done it said fred as he sat upon the ground it must have taken him by surprise when i banged into his back that way i'd like to know whether he fell on his head or feet he hadn't much time to get ready for the fall and so maybe it wasn't just as he wanted it i don't think it was either with mickey or me such things ain't generally in this part of the world maybe some of the others were standing around and this fellow went down on their heads if he did it must have shaken all their dinners up that's a pretty good way to fall down there and although i didn't get hurt much i wouldn't want to try it again fred had had remarkable success but there was a question as to what he was going to do with it he was on the outside of the cavern with the means at command for assisting mickey to the surface but the indians being down below it was not clear how this was to be done as they were likely to take a hand in the matter 
As preliminary to any elaborate attempts in that direction, it was necessary that he should apprise him of his presence and establish some sort of communication with him. This, under the circumstances, was exceedingly difficult, as it was not likely that the Irishman would suspect that his young friend had succeeded in reaching the outside until he had received strong proof of it. Very fortunately, however, the couple possessed a code of signals which were easily understood, if they were only heard. "'I will try him on our old call,' said Fred, as he crept as close to the edge as he deemed safe, and emitted a whistle that must have extended far within the cave. "'If he hears that, he will understand it,' he added, turning his ear so that he could catch any response. But the dim, soothing murmur of the cascade was the only sound that came up from the cavernous depths. "'He must be there. He must be there, and he will come back, so he will catch the signal sooner or later.' There was one aspect of the business which had not yet occurred to Fred, and which was likely to inure to the benefit of Mickey O'Rooney, the gentleman who just then stood in need of everything that came along in that line. The Apaches were skillful and wise enough to learn from the trail which had first told them the story that a boy and man had been caught in the cavern, and it was very evident that they all believed that there was no other avenue of escape except that by which they had entered. At the same time their knowledge of the peculiarities of their own country must have convinced them that it was possible that other openings of which they knew nothing might exist and might become known to the prisoners. The last Indian who went down must have known that the lad who assisted him was one of the parties for whom they were yearning, and his presence was proof that he had made the fortunate discovery which was denied the natives of the territory. If the lad had emerged by that means into the outer world, the natural supposition would be that his companion had done the same and that therefore neither of the fugitives were below, the inevitable conclusion being that the tables had been completely turned upon them. Such was certain to be the conclusion of the Apaches, and it remained for Mickey O'Rooney to use ordinary prudence and keep himself out of the way of the Redskins to secure a chance of further outwitting them by a bold piece of generalship. Fred repeated his whistle four or five times with an interval of ten minutes, when his hopes were raised to the highest pitch by hearing it answered. In his excitement he thrust his head far over the opening, gave the signal again to prevent mistakes, and listened. A full minute elapsed when the reply came, sounding faint and far away. It showed that Mickey was at a considerable distance from the opening, and that he heard and understood the situation. To make matters still more certain, the lad now shouted at the top of his voice, holding both hands so as to enclose his mouth like a tunnel. "'Mickey, I'm up here with a lasso. Nobody else is here. Whenever you can get the chance, get hold of the lasso and climb up. I will let it down after a while.' It cannot be said that this was a very wise proceeding upon the part of the lad, for it was likely that some one of the half-dozen Apaches understood English well enough to comprehend what he said. To clinch the business, Fred yelled a few more words. "'If you understand me, Mickey, whistle!' The words were no more than fairly uttered when the desired response was made, faintly, 
but nevertheless distinctly. "'That's good,' concluded the delighted lad. "'Now all I have to do is wait for him to get the chance, and he will come up the lasso, and then we'll be done with the cave.' This certainly was all that he had to do, but at the same time this amounted to a good deal. "'Now if I let this rope down,' added the lad as he thought the matter over, one of those Apaches will try to climb up it, and I will have to cut it, and that will leave it in his hands, and then what will become of Mickey? He debated a long time as to the best plan of overcoming this serious difficulty, but none presented itself, and he concluded that it was an inevitable contingency which he must prepare himself to defeat at all hazards. Fred had been so absorbed with the business which had succeeded admirably up to this hour that he scarcely noted the passage of time. He was not a little amazed when he came to look at the sun and to note from its position that the afternoon was considerably advanced, and that night was much nearer than he supposed. Nearly twenty-four hours had elapsed since he had tasted food, and although he felt somewhat faint, he was not troubled with hunger. He made up his mind to make no effort to obtain food until he should succeed in bringing the Irishman from his prison, as he hoped to do before the night should pass away. But he was thirsty, and believing that he could quench his thirst without going very far and without jeopardizing the safety of his friend, he started off on a little hunt for water. "'That stream runs out of the cave not very far from here, and if I can find that—' will be just what I want. Fixing in his mind the direction of the stream, he started off taking an almost opposite direction from that which led to the ridge where he had lain so long watching the movements of the Apaches. This led him directly behind a mass of boulders and rocks tossed irregularly together and surrounded by a peculiar growth of stunted vegetation with rich succulent grass beyond. Fred was hurrying along with no thought of seeing anything unusual when he was startled by coming directly upon a half-dozen mustangs, all bound to the limbs or trunks of trees with strong lariats, while they were lazily cropping the grass where they had been left undisturbed for several hours. They were all fine-looking animals, every one of them, not one having saddle or bridle, and nothing indeed excepting the long thong which, like the lasso, was made of bull's hide and which prevented them from straying beyond their appointed limits. There could be no doubt that the animals belonged to the little party taking an airing in the cave, and the eyes of the lads sparkled as they rested upon them. "'Oh, if Mickey were only here!' he exclaimed to himself. "'We wouldn't want anything nicer. We would just pick out two of the best here, stampede the others, and then gallop toward home as fast as we could.' and we'd be there inside of two or three days. But I must wait, and so must he. The place selected by the Indians for their horses could not have been better chosen. In addition to the rich pasture, a rivulet of clear, cold water flowed by within reach of each and all, so that all their wants were supplied in the best manner possible. Every one of the mustangs raised their heads and looked up at the stranger, and one or two gave a faint whinny as if to inquire the business of such a character with them. "'I don't believe any of you can go like by hurricane that I had to leave at home, but I can't have him, and I would be mighty glad to take one of you.' 
That is, if Mickey could go along, for I don't intend to leave him so long as I know he's alive. You seem pretty well fixed, so I'll let you alone till we get a chance to turn you to account, and you can eat and get yourself in good condition. He took a good long draught of the refreshing water, and then made a little survey of his surroundings. I should like to know whether those six Indians were all looking for me. Maybe Lone Wolf has found out that I gave the three the slip, and he sent a half-dozen fresh ones to look me up. They were all strangers to me, and I'm sure I never saw them before. Lone Wolf seems to want me very bad, and if these don't bring me back pretty soon, he may send somebody after them. A careful survey of all the suspicious points failed to show him anything alarming, and he made his way back to the mouth of the cavern where he sat down to await the moment for him to lower the lasso that he hoped was to give Mickey O'Rooney a chance for his life. It seemed to him that it would not be safe to attempt it until the sun went down. His theory was that the Apaches would not remain directly beneath the opening all the time, but that there would be a chance for the Irishman to creep up without detection. He would be looking for the lasso, and in the darkness might be able to ascend it without discovery. The lad hoped that all the redskins had reached the conclusion that both he and the man were outside, and finding that it was out of the question for them to escape by the opening which was at such a distance over their heads, had scattered to search for some other egress. It was not impossible that such was the case, and if it were, it placed the situation in a light by no means discouraging. It was hardly dark when Fred Munson carefully shoved the end of the rope over the edge of the opening and let it descend slowly, gently, and noiselessly to the bottom, permitting it to pass through his hands in such a way that he could tell the instant it was disturbed. When he knew that it had struck, he waited for a bite. To his astonishment it came within the next five minutes. He was startled by feeling a decided pull repeated several times. The situation was so delicately critical that it would not do to speak nor whisper, nor even to utter their whistle no matter how cautiously made. So by way of reply, Fred gave the lasso several responsive jerks intended to signify that everything was ready and that his friend might come ahead. A moment later, the lariat was jerked from his hand, showing that a heavy weight had suddenly fastened upon it, and the man was making his way upward from the cave. End of Chapter 7 Chapter 8 Fishing for a Prize It is no easy task, even for a trained athlete, to climb forty or fifty feet of rope. The majority of men, if put to the test of making their way out of that cave by shinning up the long lariat suspended from the opening above, would have failed altogether. Remembering how well his hearing had served him under somewhat similar circumstances, young Munson, watching so anxiously for the appearance of his friend, pressed his ear against the tough, untanned rope and listened. He could hear the scraping of the hands and the friction of the limbs against the rope working steadily and in such a manner as to show that the man was succeeding well in the excelsior business and was sure to reach the top in time, if his strength held out. "'I guess that's Mickey O'Rooney climbing up,' muttered the boy, "'and yet I can't tell till I get a sight of him.' 
It may be an Apache, and I'd better get ready, for I don't mean to have any of them creeping up on me. Fred did not wish to cut the rope, as that would have ended the operations, so he concluded to resort to his weapon. There were two or three chambers in the revolver undischarged, and he did not believe it would be necessary to use them. The simple presentation of the muzzle had accomplished his purpose some hours before, and there was little doubt that it would do the same thing again. The sky was absolutely free from clouds, and the moon, near her full, shed such a light over the scene that the lad almost dreaded the result. While all remained profoundly dark in the cave, at the moment the man reached the surface and was brought into relief against the sky beyond, he would be distinctly visible to anyone who might be looking upward, and half a dozen rifles pointed and fired at that juncture could scarcely fail of fatal results. The lad's misgivings increased as the man neared the top. When he again applied his ear to the lariat, he could understand that the fellow was working hard, and could only be a few feet below him. "'There's nothing like being ready,' he concluded, as he straightened up and, rising to his feet, stood pistol in hand, ready for the issue. He stepped back several feet, where his vision was entirely unobstructed. "'If it's an Indian, he won't have a chance of showing anything more than his head, and if he don't take that out of the way in a hurry, I'll let a ray of moonlight through it.' He stood thus, as rigid as a statue, fully appreciating the difficulties of his position and the fatal consequences of allowing himself to be outwitted. "'Mickey, is that you?' he asked in a cautious whisper a moment later. As he asked the question, he noticed that work upon the rope instantly ceased. "'It's Mickey,' he said to himself, "'but he doesn't think it's safe to speak.' Then to him, "'All right, old boy, come ahead, and you may do the speaking after you land. Come ahead, you're near the top.' Again the toiling climber resumed his labor, and he was within a foot or two of the opening. One more hitch, and he would emerge into the moonlight. "'Come on, old fellow, give me your hand,' he added. "'You've had pretty hard work.' Just then the bronzed face of an Apache Indian, smeared with paint and contorted with eager passion, slowly rose in the moonlight. The exhausted warrior, feeling that the critical moment was at hand when all depended upon prompt and decisive work, made furious efforts to clamber out of the cavern before the lad who held the key of the situation could prevent. Although Fred had contemplated this issue and had prepared for it, yet he had become so thoroughly imbued with the belief that it was Mickey O'Rooney who was toiling upward that he was almost entirely thrown off his guard. Because of this, the cunning Apache would have secured his foothold and clambered out upon the daring lad but for one thing. He had done tremendous work in climbing up a rope for such a distance, and his strength was nearly gone when he reached the open air. Before he could reap the reward of all his labor, Fred recovered. Whipping out his revolver as before, he shoved it directly in his face and said, "'You ain't wanted here, and you'd better leave mighty quick.' The warrior made a clutch at the weapon so close to him, but his exhaustion caused a miscalculation, and he failed altogether. He was supporting himself at this moment by one hand, and he acted as if the single effort to secure the pistol was to decide the whole thing. He failed in that, and gave up. 
Instead of letting go and going to the bottom in one plunge, he began sliding downward, his head vanishing from sight almost as suddenly as if the lasso had been cut. It is generally easier to go down than uphill, and the work of twenty minutes was undone in a twinkling. A rattling descendo, and the Apache was down the rope again, standing at the bottom of the cave, and Fred was again master of the situation. "'Goodness!' exclaimed the lad, when he realized this gratifying state of affairs. "'I had no idea that that was an Indian. But I ought to have suspected it when I called to him and he didn't make any answer. That stops that little sort of thing. But I don't know when Mickey is going to get a chance at the rope.' The lad was disheartened by this great disappointment, for it looked very much as if the redskins would guard all approaches to the lower end of the lasso and his friend be shut out from all participation in the chance that he was so confident was placed at his disposal. "'I don't know what they can do with the rope,' thought the lad, as he carefully took it in hand, "'but then it's no use to them, and I may as well keep it out of their reach while I can.' He gently pulled on it to test whether it was free. No one at that juncture seemed to have hold of it, and fearful that it would not remain so, the lad gave it a sudden jerk which brought it far beyond the reach of anyone who might be gathered on the sand below. "'That upsets all my calculations,' said Fred with a sigh. "'The chance of getting out of here is poorer than ever. I'm afraid Mickey is in a scrape where there ain't much show of his helping himself.' The lad remembered, however, that his friend still had one resort, the last one, at his command. When it became absolutely apparent that no other way was open, he would make the plunge down the stream and risk all in the single effort to dive from the inside to the outside of the cave. "'I don't want him to try that just yet,' added Fred, as he lay upon the ground, carefully considering the matter, "'for I think that will wind up the whole thing.' The boy seemed to be considering every phase of the question, and he debated with himself for a long time whether he couldn't do something for his friend. He thought of going back to the entrance by which he had escaped, thanks to the assistance of the wolf, re-enter it without going to a distance which would cause any danger of losing his way, and signal to him. The great obstacle to this was that, as he could readily see from the distance he had gone ever since emerging therefrom, it would be utterly impossible to send a signal so far through such a chamber of sound as the cave had proven itself to be. There remained the same probability that the Apaches would hear it as soon as Mickey, and they would be stupid beyond their kind if they had not already gained a correct idea of the situation. Still, it was possible to see how the Irishman could succeed. Men placed in fully as desperate situations as he had pulled through by showing nerve and readiness of resource when the critical moment should arrive. Mickey O'Rooney possessed originality and pluck. He had acquired considerable experience and knowledge of Indian divilments on his way across the plains, and if the Apaches comprehended the situation it was not to be supposed that he was not posted fully as well. If he could see no chance of getting a pull at the rope, he could easily keep out of the way of the redskins. He had no fear of meeting any of them singly, and if he could arrange it so as to encounter them one after the other, and at his own convenience, he might clear the track in that fashion. 
as it was therefore fred munson could only wait for the issue of events he was powerless to do anything until the sign should be made by his friend at the other end of the rope for fully two hours things remained in statu quo the lad lay upon the ground close to the opening listening looking and thinking so intensely that there was no danger of his falling asleep the profound stillness remained unbroken during all that time the murmur of the cascade had a faint distant sound as if it came from the ocean many long leagues away but there was nothing more not even a signal from mickey who if he had any plans was working them with admirable secrecy at the end of that time the lad concluded that it would be best to lower the lasso again if he is down there he must have a chance to get hold of the rope or he can't come up here was the reasonable conclusion of the lad who passed it downward slowly and in perfect silence fully a score of theories flitted through his head as he lay thus speculating upon the situation down below at one time he was sure that it was useless to attempt to help his friend in that style a half-dozen apaches would not permit a single white to climb into safety immediately before their eyes especially when they could cover him with their rifles if he should succeed in giving them the slip at the start then it appeared anything but reasonable to suppose that the indians would remain directly below him waiting for their chance to try their fortune in the trapeze line again more likely they would scatter and hunt separately for the outlet which had permitted their intended victim to gain his safety they could expect to gain nothing by remaining and they were too shrewd to do so when the matter presented itself in this shape fred was ready to call down to mickey instructing him to grasp the lasso and ascend without further delay too much precious time was being wasted fortunately however before he acted upon his theory enough doubts arose to prevent his carrying it out he had had enough experience with the rope to know how to gauge it very well and he lowered it until the other end was within two or three feet of the bottom having placed it thus within easy reach he let it pass over his hand holding it so delicately poised that the slightest disturbance was sure to be detected he was in the position of the fisherman who is angling for some plump piscatorial prize which requires the most skilful kind of persuasion to induce him to nibble the hook for a half hour nothing touched it and then fred fancied that he felt a slight jerk he made no response but instantly became all attention and waited a second later the jerk was repeated so distinctly that there could be no mistake the lad gave it a twitch in reply and then all remained still for a short time suddenly the thong snapped from his hand and instantly became taut fred applied his ear as before yes some one was climbing up the rope again End of chapter eight